Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the Yukon Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Daniel Connolly and Dan Madigan. We have got... The start of fall sports to talk about. We'll get into an extended discussion on the football team season opener. But first, soccer. Uh, the Both the men's and soccer teams played their first games at New Moroni Stadium. The women's soccer team is a few games into their season already. Connolly, what can you tell us about that squad? Yeah, so going into the year, we kind of expected it to be somewhere between above a rebuilding year, but below being like a conference title contender. So somewhere around a bridge year, that's kind of how it's played out so far. They're two and one. Their wins have come over both CCSU and LaSalle at home, neither of whom are exactly top tier opponents. And then they lost 4-1 to BC on the road on Sunday. So they have a very young squad as always. It hasn't been perfect in any of the games. LaSalle was definitely a lot more dominant of a victory than a 2-1 scoreline. I think really what it's going to come down to is just injuries because I think they're starting 11 and maybe their three or four subs are really, really solid, but they're missing Jessica Mazo, one of their midfielders who's a junior at this point. They've been a very different team without her. And I think it really showed through against BC once she's not in the midfield helping control play. So if they have everyone out there, I think they're a solid team. I think maybe they're, if not a bubble team, but on the bubble for the bubble of the NCAA tournament, I think they can at least make some noise in the Big East. You're probably not going to see them competing to win the Big East regular season, but maybe if things break right, they might be able to make a run in the Big East tournament. So I think really I can't imagine that the team is anywhere that Margaret Rodriguez doesn't expect them to be. She admitted before the season that this was going to be a really young team. I think last year is just really tough to judge any results because of just how bizarre the year was. So, yeah, I think it's pretty much business as usual for the team right about where we expect them to be. Nice. Yeah. Sounds like a solid start for, for that squad. Um, What about men's soccer? On the last podcast, uh, we had some thoughts on how the men's soccer season would go and they actually looked decent against Bryant in their home opener. They won three, nothing. I think the biggest factor is that you can't really judge who they're bringing in as freshmen, because unless you're talking to someone on the staff or maybe another coaching staff from another school, I mean, that has recruited some of these players, you really have no idea what you're going to be getting out of any of these freshmen, because it's just such an unknown. And they started a lot of freshmen against Bryant and some of them looked really, really good. Most notably Okem Chime hoping I'm pronouncing that right. There's no pronunciation guide on UConn's website. He started at forward, played pretty much the entire game. He's got really good size. He's got really good speed. He scored a goal. And even though they didn't have Felix Metzler, who's really been their best player for the last three seasons, he's a senior now. They were, they were good enough to at least beat a team like Bryant. I don't know if the final scoreline is more indicative of Bryant or UConn, 
but considering we went in with really pretty, pretty low expectations, I think you have to be at least somewhat pleasantly surprised. They had a freshman starting at center back, which is a very tough position to just throw someone new in. They had another freshman from France playing a lot of minutes kind of in the midfield. Elsewhere across the roster, you have Musa Wad, who he hasn't exactly been an experienced player. This is only his, he's listed as a sophomore. I believe he's a junior at this point, but how much can we really take from one game? I'm not exactly going to say that they're going to be an NCAA tournament team, but maybe they're going to be a little better than expected if they have a very, very talented freshman class, which right now it appears like they might. So I think that's at least promising. And at the very least, it's going to be interesting to see how the next couple games play out, especially as you start to play some tougher opponents. URI is normally a decent team. They're not necessarily, I mean, they're one of those team programs that goes back and forth. They notoriously blew a three to one lead in the NCAA tournament. The last time UConn was there in 2018, then they've got Monmouth who I wouldn't be all that worried about, but Yale usually has a pretty good program. And last time there were non-conference games, Yale smoked UConn on the, or at Yale, this one's at home. So Dartmouth coming up as well. Dartmouth is always a good team, always send players to the professional ranks. So we're going to find out quickly what level this team's at. But at the very least, I think they're better than the team last year that only won a single game and never looked particularly promising. So hopefully with Ray Ray back on the sidelines and a freshman class that at least on the surface looks really talented, maybe they can supersede our expectations pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, a 3-0 win is is certainly better than what it seemed like we were expecting, even if it is just, just one game. Um, nice to look good in your first game. And um, we also had the return of the goal patrol who uh, showed up 3000 strong for, for that match, which, um, which is of course something that we love to see moving on from the sport that the rest of the world calls football to the sport that those of us in America call football. UConn football is back, baby. The Huskies traveled out to California where they dealt with um, 100 plus degree heat uh, uh, in Fresno, California, which is a little bit further in state for those of you who may not be familiar with the geography. The Huskies came in as four touchdown underdogs. They had not played a game in 637 days. Judging by the score, unfortunately, it does not seem like a whole lot has changed. The Huskies lost 45-0. They were losing 31-0 at the half. Again, first action for this team in, in a really long time. Some people had found their way to, to, to giving themselves really, really high expectations for this year's team. Others, not so much. Um, Madigan, how are your expectations for the season affected or not affected by this result? I'm standing pat. I'm not smashing the panic button. I think this game pretty much went exactly how most people uh, or people that didn't project UConn to win five or more games. It went about exactly as everyone expected. They got the doors blown off. Um, it was a tough matchup, cross-country trip, 100-plus degree heat. They said it was like 120-something degrees on the field. Not safe to play football in, but that's another argument. We don't need to get into this on the pod. No one expected them to win this game. It would have been encouraging to see some signs of life from the offense, you know, a, a touchdown or 
a few sustained drives even um, did not get that, but overall it hasn't changed my expectations with this, with this team. And I think it's going to be really, really hard to get an accurate read on this team for maybe even another three or four or five games, just because Fresno state is clearly a better team in every single facet. Uh, Holy cross, even though that game's projected to be pretty close, I think UConn opened as like a two and a half point favorite. Uh, I'm going to say they're objectively worse than UConn, just in terms of talent, um, just with the FBS and FCS divide. So we won't, even if they win or they look really good and they lose, uh, there's not going to be a good way to, to figure out what the talent level of this team is like until they play some similarly ranked opponents or, or co- more comparable opponents like the Wyoming's. Uh, maybe Vanderbilt, UMass, uh, Army could be interesting as well, even though Army's a really good offense. But I haven't really changed changed how I feel about this team. It was discouraging to see them get shut out, but that's just the life uh, with Frank Jufri as the uh, head of the offense. So overall, not great, but the first 15 minutes were really solid. I, I, and I think that's going to get lost in time, um, understandably, because – people probably stopped watching after that scoop and score to, to kind of end the first quarter there. But for probably 10 or 12 minutes, Amon, I don't know what, what your thoughts are. They looked really solid. The defense made some stops. The offense wasn't necessarily clicking, but they were successfully moving the ball down the field, getting some first downs. Cam Ross was getting open. Kevin Menzel was finding a few gaps, even with some really shaky run blocking. So there was some, stretches of good football on there they just need to do it for a lot longer than 10 minutes each game I think with the first quarter um certainly defensively I I think there's a lot to be or yeah enough to be encouraged about we knew especially that Fresno State was a good offense I you know where I'm feeling a little less good is is offensively I don't think Fresno State is supposed to have some great defense you mentioned the offensive coordinator. I just think in general, you know, we would have liked to see that group look a little bit more put together, get something on the board with the ones and the twos, you know, would have been good. This is an exhibition game. Um, You know, Fresno state had their backups in too late in the game and UConn still didn't get anything done. That's um, also a disappointing piece of that to, to really think about Um, quarterback, we looked very rusty uh, at QB. It wasn't just that Zergiatis was making freshman mistakes or anything like that. It was, you know, we're talking about just overthrowing um, any of those, those longer throws to the outside were not accurate at all. A lot of inaccuracy, you know, I think worth noting for us, just for the purposes of this conversation, we weren't really sure what the situation at quarterback would be going into this game. We thought there might be a, more of a split than what we saw, I, I would say, um, given the fact that Zergiatis played all the way through kind of the halfway point of the fourth quarter. Um, so it looks like he's he's kind of locked in there as the as the starter with Krajewski as the backup. Um, you know, and I think for any fans clamoring for Krajewski, I will just say that that's not going to fix the offense, you know, unless Krajewski is the nickname of two elite offensive linemen who we don't know about. Um, you know, that's, that's not going to change anything who the quarterback is. It can certainly give a team a different dynamic. The coaching staff has clearly decided that, that Swaggy Z who, you know, not even sure we can call him that after this, this 62 yard passing performance 
this past week, but it seems like they're going with him as the starter. Certainly lots of rust, understandable, you know, first gate live game action in a very, very long time. Um, that's a unit where let's put it this way, looking ahead to Holy Cross. I really want to see the defense, you know, the defense should, should dominate them. The defense should not be able to get run on by Holy Cross, which is what happened in 2017. Um, and look, offensively, they've got, they've got to be able to do something against the Holy Cross defense. I think that's, you know, they can't have one of these like 15, 13 skate, you know, skate by and win this game kind of thing. They need to look a lot better against Holy Cross. I did not expect this game to go great, this Fresno State great game, but I do have to say I did expect it to go better than 45 nothing. Yeah, I think the broadcast said with Luzergiatis that Edsel basically named him the starter either right after camp ended or he was basically the definitive starter. The competition didn't even seem really that close based on how the broadcast team described it, but they chose to leave it as or, uh, you know, Zergiatis or Krajewski for competitive advantage. So clearly did not work. Um, but yeah, Zergiatis's play was a little concerning. That's part of his thing is his arm strength, right? It, on top of, you know, his ability to complete the throws and all that, but he's not really, I wouldn't say he's a scrambling quarterback. He's not going to pick up stuff with his legs uh, by choice. His, his trait is to be almost like a gunslinger and, and throw the ball down the field. And he did miss a few wide open targets. He hits Cam Ross uh, on those two open passes. It, there was a one guy tripped and I think it was a broken play or, or something like that. That changes the whole dynamic of how we're thinking about this offense, I think, but he's got to make those throws. The lack of downfield passing attempts outside of those overthrows was a little concerning too. I think it's just, I do think there's a talent disparity between UConn offensively and a lot of the teams that we're going to be seeing this year. But I also think that Jufri's decision to play extremely slow and chew clock, uh, establish the run, if you want to call it that, is a disadvantage for a team that had some success playing a much higher tempo fast-paced offense with shorter passes and, and trusting a quarterback to throw those tight slants or, you know, 10, 15 yard passes consistently uh, like we saw under Rhett Lashley and John Dunn. So I, I don't think that's going to change there. There's probably only one way that that changes, but I do think there's ways to take advantage of the, the Cam Rosses, the Kevin Mensa's Nate Carter had like one, one good run. I think I, I think he only finished with like 10 yards though, but he had one good run. If someone can come up with a way to get the ball creatively into those players' hands and take some pressure off Swaggy Z, I think that might make the offense flow a little better, but I'm not confident that that's going to happen. I do like the decision at least not to bench Zergiatis in the third quarter or fourth quarter, because what's that really accomplish? You're not coming back when you're down 45, nothing when you haven't done anything all game. Why not just give him a chance to see if maybe he can string together a couple good plays and at least try and roll that in the next week. I just don't know what benching him when you know that he's going to be the starter in week two is going to accomplish. It's not like Holy Cross in 2017 or yeah, I think that was the year where David Pindell couldn't do anything and they benched Brian Sheriffs and he came back and helped UConn win the game. Winning the game was not even in the question. 
maybe if you're playing to put any points on the board, but as Madigan said, it kind of seemed like Zergiatis was the runaway winner. So he's there for a reason. Maybe it was just the bright lights of the first game. Maybe it was the heat really affected him for some reason. I don't know what it is, but at least I like keeping him out there and giving him the chance to work through the mistakes and then immediately naming him the starter for the next week so that there's no quarterback controversy. There's no question. Quarterback is such a difficult position that you need to keep their confidence up, especially after a horrific game like that. So for everything that you could maybe complain about from that game, I really have no issue. And I, in fact, actually preferred that they kept stuck with Zergiatis. And the only reason I would have wanted him out of the game was if the offensive line was so bad that he was getting pummeled on every other play, like Bryant Sheriff's used to back during those Bob Diaco days when they didn't have an offensive line. You just got to stick with him. And if it gets really bad against Holy Cross and it's a seven or 10 point game, then yeah, maybe at that point you start thinking about a quarterback change. But I do like the stick to with him. And hopefully this ends up just being a blip on the radar because if he won the quarterback competition handily, that and he continues to play like that, are the backup options really that much better? You'd hope right. not, but it's it's a little nerve wracking. Yeah, and, and that's kind of my point, which is that it's it's highly unlikely that Krajewski is some unknown quantity who's going to light the offense on fire if he were to go in. Um, I think that's a great point, though. It, it it does say something that they gave him these kinds of reps um, in a game that we knew was like, like an exhibition. Um, you know, I think the heat is worth just briefly discussing. Um, obviously, these are Connecticut kids, and it was – 117 degrees or whatever like at kickoff we were hearing about shoes melting on the field we were talking we were hearing about the referees mics weren't working the 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 dehydration tent was filled with people there were all sorts of weird things going on this was an 11 a.m kickoff local time you know it's it, it does seem like a weird aspect of it i don't want to make excuses for the team or anything like that but obviously the heat um, was also where Fresno State was playing in that under those conditions, but a lot of factors working against UConn's favor. I think we can certainly say, um, and and I think you know the the playbook thing, the the offensive strategy thing. I feel like we say this kind of stuff every year too. We're just like rehashing 2019 plot lines or whatever, but maybe they're keeping it close. Um, you know, offensively, and they tried to keep the playbook simple in the early goings to make it simple for all the players, but especially their, their less experienced QB. And so they don't show as much on film. This is highly possible for a game that, you know, they were not expecting to win, that they just tried to run really basic plays and see, see what happened. But again, you know, we're talking about they had a good first quarter, but then it was 31 nothing at by halftime. So, um, you know, that's more like the 2018 or 2019 teams, uh, which, which we are hopeful to be better than. Um, and I think that's kind of the piece that remains to be seen is like, is this team even better than, than those teams? We have some reasons to believe they are because of what we've seen and what we've followed, but um they have to prove that. And it's going to be a tough stretch of games. They've got Holy Cross, 
um, you know, which we've discussed, not an easy FCS opponent, but Purdue and Army after that, that's going to be two really tough games, uh, followed by Wyoming, like you said, Madigan, which might be the first chance at an evenly matched game. But I think Wyoming is going to be pretty decent, to be honest. And I don't know. But again, to your point, I think at least that'll give us a shot. I do not expect, you know, let's let's say they, that they can beat Holy Cross. Um, you know, if I was predicting today, I would still predict a win over Holy Cross. Purdue and Army could look pretty ugly um, before that Wyoming game. And hopefully we're not talking about, you know, injuries, backups and all that kind of stuff. Um, or just, you know, disarray, de- demoralizing status on the team, that kind of thing. So um, I'm still pretty concerned about the future, I-, I have to say, the immediate future. Yeah, I think there's definitely some there's going to be some lumps that UConn's going to take in this season. I just want to jump back to the Fresno state thing really quick. The 11 AM kick in local time in week zero, that is, and this is just a fact that's just the nature of being an independent school is you need to get 12 games on the schedule and you're playing Fresno state across the country for your first game in 600 days. And that sucks. And that might have to happen. Um, but hopefully going forward, this, it was just a byproduct of, of COVID and this, the quick transition to independence. But um, going forward, hopefully that isn't the case. But there may be games like that for years to come just because of the nature of being an independent team that's not Notre Dame or BYU. But, um, yeah, Purdue is going to be ugly. Army is going to probably be ugly too. But I think that's going to be a really good test for the run defense, right, which we – think could be, I guess, a strength or not as bad as it's been um, because Army is almost always the best rushing offense in the country by by almost any metric. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye out for. Wyoming's probably going to be the best barometer of what the talent level of this team is actually like because it's going to be pretty even. It's not a super efficient run-heavy offense like Army. Purdue is just a better program and a better conference. So it's hard to really see that, but I think we'll have a a better idea of this team each week, obviously, but I don't know if we'll really be able to tell like, Hey, is three wins possible Is two wins possible is zero wins possible, depending on how Holy cross goes until we get into that stretch of what we call the winnable games where it's the Wyoming's, the Vanderbilt's, the UMass, the Yale, uh, stretch of the season because those are games where it could probably go either way but it's it should go in UConn's direction at least once or twice um and if they're not pulling those out by that part part of the season it's going to be an ugly year so I'm I'm optimistic for now I think it just because there's too many weird things going on to get an accurate read but it could get ugly really quick I'm on yeah, I think you just have to flush it and move on. You've got Holy Cross is pretty much the perfect bounce back game possible where, I mean, there's no excuses for not winning this game. For as bad as UConn football has been for the last decade, they've only ever lost to an FCS school once in that span. And this is not, this shouldn't be one of UConn football's worst teams. And I think this team has way too much talent to lose to an FCS school. So if that's happening, I don't think it's a talent issue. I think it's probably something else. It's it's such a low bar that we're saying, oh, can they beat an FCS school? They 
you could have one of the worst FBS teams in the country and you're still better than what 90% of FCS schools in the country. Like what's the proper number there? 90%, 85%, like Probably. most of them. It depends who, but yeah, I mean, as long as you're not starting uh, a two deep, that's entirely freshmen and sophomores, um, you know, you could have a, you should be able to beat those teams. The, the biggest advantage you have is the scholarship numbers, right? So it's like if you have 86 or what 85 scholarship players, and I believe FCS is 65, you know, that's, that's really like the difference right there, obviously. And then the caliber of athlete and that kind of thing. But, you know, we all know this. What's the difference between the caliber of athlete that's going to Holy Cross versus let's not say all of the guys that are going to UConn, but like a chunk of the guys that are going to UConn. It's a, it's a slim line, you know, and there's a lot of transition in between. There's a lot of guys who do sign at schools like UConn or other FBS schools, and then they end up being FCS talents um, at the end of the day. So um, obviously it's a tough thing to figure out. Yeah. There's been no FCS losses, but there's been lots of FCS close calls um, in the history, not just Holy Cross, um, you know, Villanova, Stony Brook, uh, Maine have all challenged UConn in the past uh, in, in games that were much closer than they should have been. Uh, and and I believe Holy Cross, it was like, you know, they were down 10 before, as you mentioned, they had to make the switch at quarterback. Um, yeah, hoping they won't go fall down 10 to Holy Cross. You know, I think that would be the point where it's like, you know, turn off the TV, shut down the computer, go touch some grass, um, you know, call your call your parents, tell them you love them, all that kind of stuff, rather than continuing to watch watch this team. And I think, you know, there's there's a piece of this where you have to think about where the fan base is. They, you know, whatever f- fan base is left, God bless all of you who are. Um, but, but like, they have been, they have won six games total the past three seasons that they've played, took a season off. There's this year. If you're a, you know, medium casual fan, None of this is going to change your mind. A close win over Holy Cross is not going to, you know, get you get you more into things. Um, and we're talking about this is Randy Edsel's like fourth or fifth season. I guess we should talk about this piece. This is something I've been, you know, really ruminating. I mean, it's just it's again stuff we talked about in 2019. Randy Edsel, I think, just has a really long leash. I know that this year is like, um, you know, his buyout goes away or whatever, but like moving to independence, taking a year off, all this stuff. I, I think I think Randy Etzel has tons and tons of job security. I I know, again, the contract situation is such that he, this could be his last year. I just don't think that's going to be the case. And I think that's how he's coaching. He's coaching as if, you know, he's got to show a baby step this year. And in terms of the expectation of showing a baby step, I think that is still possible. So sure, let's watch the rest of the season. Yeah, he did sign an extension through 2022, so he is on the books. I don't know how that affects his buyout. They, they were, were never really clear on that. I'm sure it doesn't, uh, and I'm sure that's by design. But, yeah, he's going to be here for a while. I, I think it's probably the smart decision. I, I think it would have been impossible to bring in a new coach if they wanted to. They would have had to do it, new coach, new coordinator, whatever right after they decided to cancel the season. And that's just an incredibly hard sell for anyone, even if, even for someone looking to make that leap, but it's going to be interesting. I, I know you brought up that I'm assuming it was the Towson loss, Dan, when you're talking about UConn losing to FCS. And I think the, the problem with that 
metric, if you want to call it that, is Holy Cross is pretty good. They have an outside chance, a decent chance of making the, the playoffs uh, in FCS. So, which Towson did that season. Um, so, they kind of are that same caliber team, which is a little scary. And they could be, they could be the bottom of that 10 or 15% that we just said could probably hang around and beat UConn. And Yale is almost certainly in that category as well. If, if they don't really get ranked, they don't play in the postseason. Ivy leagues are really weird about that stuff, but they would routinely be one of the top 10 or 15 teams in the country at that level if they were ranked every year. So I don't know. It's, it's tough. It's, it's a little depressing to think about, but I think there's enough talent on this roster that they can win those FCS games and, and win one or two more. Um, but we'll have to see how they kind of develop and shake off the rust throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. But the Towson game also kind of proves my point because that was a fairly talented UConn team. And it was one of the games that led to Paul Pascaloni's firing, but that team went on and won what three games straight to end the season and won those games pretty convincingly. TJ that team didn't lose. Yeah, exactly. That game, that team didn't lose to Towson because they weren't good enough. That team lost to Towson because something wasn't right off of the football field. It had nothing to do with the talent level. And Aman, you mentioned that it's not like UConn's out there starting freshmen on every single spot in the two deep, but the year that they did that, they still beat an FCS team. That was honestly, the URI wasn't that bad. They had a pretty solid quarterback. They had some good receivers. So that is that a, a very, that was a it was very, a close game. It was a, See, but that was a fun not, game. That was like one of the best UConn football <laughs> games ever. Like just if you throw the level of opponent aside, that game was incredible. Wasn't it like, 35-32. Rhode Island had like a juggernaut offensive day. That's yeah. embarrassing. You know, that's Yeah, oh, it's it's incredibly depressing, but it was I just remember it being one of the most fun UConn football yes. games that yes. I've watched other than the existential dread of are we going to lose to not only an FCS school but Rhode Island out of all the FCS schools. Yeah. But once we got past that it was fun. See, but I'm, I'm not saying that they should be blowing out Holy Cross. I'm not even saying that they should be winning by more than a possession. I'm just saying that they need to do whatever possible to beat Holy Cross. That is the only standard that I have. And I really don't think that is asking too much or it's dramatic to say that they have to do that. I don't think there can be any excuses if they do that, because if they don't do that. And I think it'll come right back to the same point as Towson where they didn't lose to Towson because of a talent issue or because of a because of what was on the field. It was because there was a larger issue. And obviously that changed when Paul Pascaloni got fired. It briefly got better. And then, you know, Bob Diaco came along. We know the story from there. So if they're losing to Holy Cross, then I don't think it's an issue of talent. I think it's an issue of something else because it you just can't be losing to Holy Cross. You can't do it. And that feels like a hot take to say when it really shouldn't be. It is just the lowest bar that we've set and we expect so very little and we're not even sure that they can do that. Kind of original point at the beginning is, is spot on in the sense that, you know, if you were expecting UConn to be a three-ish win team, not much changes, you know, especially after a glorified exhibition under challenging conditions, blah, 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 you know, as, as we have discussed at length. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll certainly give them a shot. Uh, we will keep an eye out uh, for Holy Cross this weekend. It's a noon kickoff. 
It will be televised on CBS Sports thanks to our wonderful television partners. The Huskies have opened as a 2.5 point favorite. We shall see. Yeah, and credit to all the people during our football prediction week of content. There was a more than a few people in our mentions uh, across all the social networks that said UConn could win four or five, or I think someone said six games. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, credit to you. you. You guys are the core of the fan base, and it's it's good to see some positivity in the uh, in this for this upcoming season. So we'll see how it shakes out, but it's good to know that there's still a core uh, of UConn fans that believe in Etzel and believe that this team can do some big things this year. However, yes, credit to you for your for your love of the program and for still watching. But you hopefully if you're in the camp of they should win five or six, you know, that's where this past Saturday should have changed your mind about that. Hopefully. Yes. Pretty, pretty conclusively. Otherwise, yeah, you know, you that that's where you end up really pissed off about this Saturday's result. If you were expecting, you know, that that the two year break would cause some magical growth on the team. Um, and and lead to a surprising five or six win season. I think you maybe have just been reading too many Randy Edsel or Hartford current quotes or something like that. But um, think about all the time they had to prepare for Fresno State. Fresno State, yeah, six six hundred days of watching Fresno State film to know all of their all of their tendencies and weaknesses and strengths, and That's still they could not do anything. That, definitely yeah. what they did. I know it's crazy. It's crazy that they spent 600 days preparing for Fresno State and still could not could not cop the dub. But yeah, you know, I think back to just the conversation about Randy Edsel's job security. I mean, I think it's really, really clear that he has through this year and next year, uh, like, you know, unless he wins zero games this year, which, you know, again, two FCS opponents better not happen unless he wins zero games this year, I think he's going to stick around after this season. Um, and it's just, it's a bad time to make a change right now. Uh, it, that, that part is unfortunately true. I, I think in some respects, there's no good time to make a change when you're talking about a buyout and you're an athletic department that's cash strapped and all that. But, um, you know, for, for those people who are saying that the head coach should lose his job, that may or may not be true, but, um, he definitely is not going to. And I think he's got until the end of next season, the 2022 season to kind of prove something. And, you know, this year he's got a, he and the program and the team has, has got to show something that still can happen. There's still this key stretch of the season later. And if we are to just assume that they are prepping for that to look good again, the games where they have the best chance, that's, um, that's the best that we can hope for, I guess, at this point of the season. Yeah, I, I agree, Amon. I think his job is pretty safe. And I think that if they do end up making a change at one or two or, or multiple coaching positions below him, like at the coordinator level, I think he honestly could even get more time. Um, he with due to all the weird circumstances that have happened just in, just in 2019, in terms of moving to in, to FES independent COVID, everything else is going on. I, I do think it's fair to, to give him at least this season and probably next season and see how things shake out and then make a move. Uh, FBS independent should give UConn a pretty stable ground to kind of do what they need to do. They're going to be 
bring in money through buy games and they have a pretty good schedule lined up for the next few years. So it's not like there's no stability. It's going to be pure chaos. So if things don't work out, they can move in a different direction, but there's no harm in, in giving Edsel at least another year or two to sort things out. Yeah. I, I mean, what, what's really the alternative? I think we're looking at probably another five years to even be remotely competitive and could we realistically get anyone that's much better than like Walt Bell that UMass has? Probably someone slightly better, right? So could get a Notre Dame defensive I, coordinator. I know. So you know, I think the 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 conversation on this front would be, you know, to find someone from the FCS or maybe even the like NAIA, you know, some some dude somewhere who's running a unique offense. You know, he. He never punts and they run the triple or something, you know, someone who's willing to be like a real strategy innovator, because that's what you have to do. You're, you're not in the big East anymore where you have this kind of mid range talent opportunity. Um, You're not even in the AAC anymore, which presented some sort of Texas and Florida and North Carolina talent opportunity, at least. So you got, you know, you got to find it from somewhere. Uh, but it's it you got to find a, an advantage and a way to be you know better than one hundredth in the country, right? Like that is that is what we are uh, aspiring to. But um, you know if if they can find someone like the net, literally, I, I know it sounds crazy because of how famous they are now, but like someone like the net, you know Chip Kelly when he was coaching at UNH, you know someone like that is the kind of person that could be a good hire for UConn, but. Um, you know, obviously those, those people are hard to find and it's a big risk and succeeding and recruiting and doing tackle football at UConn is a very unique challenge. And, uh, you know, David Benedict really indexed on the experience that Randy Edsel had with that. And Hey, look, recruiting has gone decently. Um, he's just needed to hold on to some of the players a little bit better and more. Um, we'll see how that piece plays out with his own recruits which was kind of an excuse from the past, past years, but that that's the alternative. I don't, you know, I don't think they can do it. I don't think it's like Walt Bell or some other, you know, high level FBS guy who's going to come in here and what want to be like a, you know, here for three years and do well and get hired away. Like UConn doesn't offer that infrastructure, you know, for you. That's, that's at Cincinnati. That's at UCF. You know, that's at those schools that are in talent hotbeds, you know, that have inst- lots of institutional buy-in where you can kind of just come in and plug and play and, you know, you're inheriting Scott Frost's 11-win team or whatever, right? And it's a pretty good situation. UConn is not that. UConn does not offer that. Um, I do appreciate that Randy Etzel is clearly in it for the long haul, right? He's not gunning for any other job anymore. Um, and so, uh, you know, that that piece certainly certainly works in his favor, I will just say one more thing though, is, is that it's, you know, it's, it's been really hard just how much they are, are so bad and kind of like, uh, you know, like national reporters, like making fun of UConn and like all that kind of stuff. It's just a, it's a, it's a tough feeling uh, because it's, it's been going on now rightfully for like three or four years and you'd love to see the program not be an embarrassment. Yeah. And the the thing with that is when UConn, transition to FBS out of FCS, they weren't great, 
for the first season or two, but they really were never this bad. Right. I, I mean, I don't know that I can't totally remember for no, that's sure, correct. but they were pretty much at least average. And then honestly, really good for a brand new program right away. So for them to take this dive or to have this stretch, the dark ages, hopefully of UConn football, dark. hopefully this is the darkest age to have this 10, you know, 10 or 20 years, almost 20 years after making the jump is really discouraging. If this happened in 2002 or 2003 or whatever, this would just be cost of doing business for making the jump to, to the next level and nobody cares. But uh, yeah, I think that's some of it too, is that UConn has been at this level for a while now for most people's, a good chunk of people's lives. And for them to just continuously be this bad while programs in the Northeast at various other programs in the Northeast at various levels are having success on the gridiron is, uh, is frustrating. And it is embarrassing. I do think in a weird way, it's like, if you subscribe to the all news is good news or, or all exposure is good exposure, <laughs> UConn football's name is out there. It's, it's, not, it's a national, it's national news, but it's, um, right. it's never good. And it's always a joke, but I don't know. People are national writers are keeping tabs on UConn football. And if things start to go in the right direction, it could maybe get a little more interesting, but it's, I agree, man. It's just, it's sad. It's, it's all, it's kind of depressing, honestly, to see where things have gotten to, but uh, hopefully there's enough peace in place for things to go in the right direction. Maybe Fresno state is just way better than we thought they were too. Yeah. What if they're like, like yeah, that's possible. The one of the top four teams for college football playoff season ended today. Their Good resume speaks for themselves. Yeah, no, they've got elite, elite offensive numbers, classic, you know, post UConn boost for your offensive numbers. Post UConn uh, bump. A lot of hey, they just beat a former they just beat a former a school that was once in a fiesta ball. So and the reigning former national champions. Yes. The reigning yes. national, national, champions. national champions. So a lot to think Look. about. Um, something else to think about basketball season starts in about two months. Uh, so we hockey got, in a month, hockey in one month. Ice bus. That's going to do it for us. Thank you all for listening.